This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on leaves, flowers and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattle bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Hello, friends. We're talking with Professor Stephen Zunis, who's a professor of international relations at San, the University of San Francisco and specializes in the Middle Eastern politics, U.S. foreign policy, and strategic nonviolent action. It's good to have you back on, Stephen. How could you give us a good to be brief, with you? Could you give us a brief overview of recent politics in the Middle East and what has changed recently? Uh, well, a number of things are, are happening. Um, uh, there's, of course, been the uh, major uh, protests in Israel about the authoritarian reach of the far-right coalition government uh, in, in Israel uh, that is dominated by uh, Jewish fundamentalists uh, and far-right nationalists. Uh, the uh, United States, uh, has, including the Biden administration, which has been uh, you know, very strongly pro-Israel, um, has expressed some concerns about uh, this authoritarian reach. Uh, but they have pledged to continue to um, spend uh, uh, $3.3 billion annually in military aid to prop up that government. Um, yeah, there, and while yeah, there are a number of uh, other pro-Israel politicians and mainstream Jewish organizations who have uh, largely defended the denial of, of democratic rights to uh, Palestinian Arabs, have expressed concern about the uh, denial of democracy towards Israeli Jews. And uh, the things are at an impasse right now, whether how many of these so-called judicial reforms uh, will come to pass. Uh, the Israeli judiciary is really the only um, uh, check or balance to the uh, far-right uh, coalition, uh, which is you know, both the, the, uh, you know, the uh, legislative and executive uh, branches in that country. Um, meanwhile, the um, uh, the uh, Palestinian uh, uh, government, which uh, 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 under the Palestine National Authority, the uh, leadership of Fatah, the dominant group and the Palestine Liberation Organization, uh, continues to nominally control the ma- most of the major population centers in the West Bank, though uh, Israel routinely goes into these areas for various uh, military operations. Uh, the... Um, a 90-something-year-old president of the Palestine Authority was uh, denounced uh, globally, including by many Palestinians, uh, for uh, what were seen as anti-Semitic comments uh, regarding 
the the history of Ashkenazi Jews and uh, the Holocaust and the like. Uh, but you know, more and more Palestinians are finding the um, Palestine Authority irrelevant. I mean, they are essentially seen as collaborators uh, for the occupation at this point. And most Palestinians don't have much love for Hamas, the hardline Islamist group that controls the uh, Gaza Strip either. Uh, in other news, the um, uh, United States continues its support of the uh, family dictatorships in the Gulf. Um, United States just recently signed a, a security cooperation agreement with Bahrain, uh, the small island uh, Sheikhdom in the Persian Gulf. Uh, it's the uh, most explicit uh, you know, treaty, uh, or, or not, not technically treaty, but a cooperation agreement um, in terms of uh, you know, providing security guarantees and the like. This has upset a lot of human rights activists because of the very repressive nature of the Bahraini regime. During the Arab Spring in 2011, Bahrain had the, uh, in, in terms of relative to its population, uh, the largest uh, demonstrations in the, uh, in the entire uh, Middle East. Um, uh, Bahrain is, is um, historically a fairly liberal society. It, 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 uh, you know, it, it's been for centuries, it's been a trading center um uh pearl diving um and uh and 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 and, and more uh it's uh culturally and religiously uh, pretty pluralistic and open but they do have a, a very a, a, a dictatorial uh family uh that rules the country uh, from the uh, these are they're sunni muslims that's a minority most uh of Iranians are shias and there's a lot of discrimination against the shia majority and and uh, you know, scores of people have been killed, thousands jailed, tortured, a really repressive uh, situation. Uh, in fact, it took an invasion by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and other neighboring dictatorships to suppress this overwhelmingly nonviolent um, pro-democracy movement. But the Biden administration apparently is not bothered by that. Uh, and they've uh, continued to uh, support the a Bahraini regime, as uh, Trump um, and Obama before, and other previous um, pre- uh, U.S. leaders uh, beforehand. Um, in Iran, we still have the um, uh, <clears throat> uh, scattered protests, um, which have been going on for more than a year, uh, regarding you know, not just the oppression of women, which uh, triggered the the protests, but the overall uh, corruption and attitude and repression of the uh, Iranian clerics and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, uh, these very reactionary elements that rule that society. Um, uh, just uh, just uh, uh, yesterday, uh, American uh, Americans who were held effectively hostage on, um, on, on spurious charges uh, were released um, in return for the United States freeing some Iranians who were being held in the United States on, uh, on violating sanctions charges as well as freeing up money that was owed to Iran uh, that was being kept in a South Korean bank. This was, uh, um, you, know, you know, this is not give, uh, not giving them any money that wasn't theirs, but it's nevertheless, uh, and in fact, it's, it's been, um, it's being put in a Qatari bank uh, to make sure that it's only used for humanitarian purposes. Uh, but uh, this, this, this has nevertheless gotten a lot of criticism uh, by, by, uh, some more right-wing elements that uh, the uh, United States should not even you know, should not honor its debts when you're uh, uh, when you're dealing with a country uh, like like Iran. Um, 
So you know, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on. One one uh, one rather exciting development actually is in Syria, um, uh, despite the savage repression. You know, which, yeah, a quarter million people at least have died. You know, from uh, the, uh, 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 the the insurgency and the repression by the uh, Syrian regime. We've started to see a renewal of nonviolent protests, like we saw in 2000 back in 2011, of pro-democracy demonstrations. Um, that uh, were very, very impressive. Uh, and for the first six months, unfortunately, things collapsed into civil war. Uh, but um, we're seeing a revival of the nonviolent movement, which is is, is one of the few uh, glimmers of hope we've seen in, in the terrible situation there. So um, I could um, uh, I, I talk about more. We've had, of course, the horrific floods in, in Libya uh, that have killed 15, 20,000 uh, people. Uh, it's it's uh, after what was, what was essentially a tropical storm uh, formed in the Mediterranean, which is uh, essentially unprecedented, and then hitting the driest part of the Mediterranean, the, the Libyan desert. <laughs> so it, it's another reminder of the impact of climate change in that region. Uh, but uh, with the, the, the bursting of dams, which had been needing repair for years, but the lack of a central government uh, due to the ongoing conflict in that country, um, you know, it, it, it delayed repairs until it's obviously uh, too late. Uh, we have, and and then we have the earthquake in Morocco, uh, which killed thousands. The Moroccan regime was very inept in its uh, response, even even turning down offers of aid from from various uh, countries. And with much of the armed forces in occupied Western Sahara, they 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 weren't there to dig people out of the rubble as efficiently as they might have otherwise been. Uh, so here again, we have a natural disaster that was uh, compounded uh, by a, a, a very problematic uh, political situation. So these are some of the highlights that, that come to mind off the top of the head. Could you go back to um, Israel and Prime Minister Nachi's uh, constitutional amendments? Could, actually, could Israeli Jews really expect Israel to remain democratic when they're... Uh, uh, treating half their population as a with apartheid. I mean, I mean that this is this is a big this has been a debate that's been going on for years. I mean, there um, those, this yeah, likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there, I mean, there, there, there's been there's been a there ever since the um, Israel seized the West Bank and Gaza Strip and other occupied territories. You know, there has been this debate about whether. Israel could maintain its democratic character while um, uh, being an occupation of, of another people. Now, there are certainly those who have been uh, critical and questioning of, of, of Zionism from the uh, very beginning, who, um, who would say there's been this contradiction from the, from the get-go, that to whatever extent uh, Zionism was a national liberation movement for Jews, it was also a colonial settler movement, uh, that it and it was it was it was an, a national identity based on uh, ethnic uh, uh, religious identity, and uh, that uh, it is inherent um, uh, that inherently lead to um, uh, 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 an undemocratic uh, outcome. But holding on to the occupied territories uh, all these years of um, of, of colonizing uh, these uh, occupied territories. Uh, seizing land, um, you know, building uh, Jewish-only roads, communities, and 
imposing a kind of apartheid um, you know, certainly uh, has has compromised the um, any any sense of 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 of, uh, of democracy and the right wing uh, nationalism uh, that has uh, you know come to the fore to justify it. I keep thinking of the uh, Old Testament. Uh, um, line from Exodus about the hardening the heart <laughs> that uh, you know the the fact that um, you know every Israeli is uh, virtually is conscripted into the armed forces serves the occupied territory to keep a whole people down deny them the right to self determination. I mean that kind of thing you know can you know, lead you know uh, while there have been certainly many Israelis including veterans uh, who have uh, spoken out against the occupation for many they in rational support you know, they've adopted much you know, very explicit kind of racist uh, ideologies and so you know pe- people are so we're having unprecedented and and, and again it is it really is uh, by meets the international legal definition of, of apartheid and so um, and, and, and even within Israel itself within Israel's internationally recognized borders the laws restrictions on the uh, on Palestinian citizens of Israel are not as bad as the situation for Palestinians in the West Bank, um, you know, discrimination there is is very real, and um, so um, that uh, it, it's in, in many ways the uh, more uh, authoritarian drift is a logical outcome, you know, to if not Zionism itself, at least to the way uh, Zionism has manifested itself in uh, recent decades. At the end of the 67 war, were there people who actually thought that they should have actually given the West Bank to the Palestinians as a way of having peace? Well, there, there's been talks of, of a two-state solution back then um, uh, when it was still possible. Yeah. Uh, but it was rejected, uh, not just by successive Israeli governments, but initially the PLO and Arab governments. Now, the PLO and Arab governments finally came around to supporting a two-state solution in the 1980s, but by that time, the uh, Israelis were pretty hard-line in opposition. The United States remained in opposition, um, including Joe Biden as a senator, was very much opposed to any kind of Palestinian uh, statehood. It was only after um, the, um, the Oslo Agreement that and, uh, and Israel, uh, the more moderate Israeli uh, government, labor-led governments, express openness to the idea of a Palestinian state that the United States finally came around to uh, supporting okay. a, um, a two-state solution. Uh, but, and, and to this day, the U.S. says they support a two-state solution, um, but uh, they say on, only on Israeli terms, that they will not push Israel to make that possible. Only through direct negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians can that happen. But the Israeli government has been quite explicit that there's never going to be a Palestinian state. And so, the, 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 so basically the U.S. policy is we'll give lip service to a, a, a two-state solution, but we will not pressure Israel to uh, make that possible. We will continue to provide Israel with um, unconditional military aid. We will veto in the United Nations Security Council a resolution that tries to uh, pressure Israel uh, to allow for a, uh, a Palestinian state. Uh, we obviously oppose armed struggle or the forms of resistance against the occupation. We even oppose nonviolent movements like campaigns for boycotts, divestment, and sanctions. Uh, in other words, uh, despite the lip service for a two-state solution, the United States government is, is for all intents and, and purposes, is opposed uh, to to um, 
uh, yeah, to such a uh, solution. So I, some... I really, uh, um, so again, why? And so if you're an Israeli, well, why, why should we? Because we obviously aren't going to, we're not going to, uh, it's not going to hurt us. Uh, because the U.S. will back us and protect us from uh, the U.N. or the international community or even global civil society. Shouldn't they think ahead to the time that the United States may not have the, as much power as they've got now? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, so, so far, uh, again, uh, we haven't seen any indication uh, that the U.S. is lessening its support. Uh, but, of course, Israel itself is a small-scale superpower. They have nuclear weapons. Okay. Their economy is is uh, bigger uh, than uh, all the surrounding states combined, even though they have much larger uh, you know, population. It's, How uh, are, the high-tech industry okay. in Israel is, is uh, among the most advanced uh, um, in the world. And so at, at this point, perhaps uh, they, um, you know, they don't, they're not uh, concerned about um, uh, losing U.S. Uh, um, uh, military aid. But the main thing, I think, is that besides the U.S. aid, of course, is, again, is the U.S. Uh, refusal uh, to allow the uh, United Nations to um, take any action. Remember how the United States, along with Britain and France, kept vetoing efforts by the international community to pressure uh, South Africa to end, in the, back in the apartheid era, era to end its occupation in Namibia uh, and to end apartheid inside South Africa itself. Um, eventually, global civil society mobilized and, and forced uh, the uh, end of the occupation of Namibia. Namibia has been an independent country uh, for um, over 30 years now. And uh, apartheid uh, um, uh, finally uh, came to an end uh, not long after that. Uh, but um, in the short term, Israel ha doesn't have much to, uh, to work about until we have a global civil society movement that forces the United States and other countries to stop supporting Israel in the occupation, uh, it's going to be, a, 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 a Israel has little sensitive to compromise. How do Jewish people who are critical of Israel and Zionism, how are they feeling at the present time with these latest um, moves by the Israeli government? Well, I mean, the, the, the numbers are growing, especially among young Americans. There's a huge generation gap in terms of attitudes about uh, Israel and the occupation and even uh, Zionism itself. Um, what has been, um, but what's more, most striking, what I've seen in, in recent months, is that there are a lot of people who consider themselves liberal or left Zionists, um, you know, who are very pro-Israel and identify with the Zionist movement, so it has a liberation, national liberation movement for Jews and, and all that, but who, um, um, but, but, uh, uh, but opposed the occupation and uh, really thought that uh, you know Zionism and and uh, uh, could um, and Israel could uh, coexist along with uh, with a Palestinian state. But now that the demographics are looking so that that's not possible, you know that Israel's colonized so much of the West Bank that um, you know, a contiguous Palestinian state seems virtually impossible. And Israeli politics just seems to be more and more to the right. So the idea of electing an Israeli government willing to compromise seems less and less possible. Uh, that we, we're seeing a lot of liberal Jews um, who, are, who are, are beginning to question Zionism, who no longer consider themselves left Zionists, but post-Zionists, perhaps. Um, and that, that's a real shift. And, and it, it, it's... it's uh, I mean, I, I'm old enough, you're old enough, and maybe some of your listeners are old enough to remember when 
you know, on sort of a mainstream liberal uh, um, uh, and, and even progressive view that Israel was cool. People would, even non-Jews, would go and volunteer to, to work on the kibbutzim, these uh, wonderful socialist collectives that they had. And, and yes, the contradictions from the beginning. Most of these kibbutzim was on stolen Palestinian land. But at the same time, you know, there was a hope that people were building a, a progressive uh, society, a social democracy, uh, in a part of the world that was very conservative and, and, down, and authoritarian and, and reactionary, and but this idealistic view that we saw in the movie, in the novel, in the movie Exodus, you know, and and mm. the and and you know those of us who came of age in the sixties and seventies, you know, again, a lot of that was myth from the beginning, but at, at, at this point, it's it's it, 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 people are realizing that that's not the case. It's not the case at all. Maybe it never was, but it's certainly not the case now. And so it's led to a real reevaluation and, frankly, some heartbreak you know, from, for uh, older Jews who, who did have this very uh, idealistic view of what, uh, what a, a Jewish state uh, might mean and what it might represent. Yeah, I, I've had a family friends who were going to send their kids to the kibbutzes in the late 60s. And the last moment, they changed their minds because they decided that's what they wanted their kids to participate in. But they were quite sad about it. And they were early on, really, to question this. But Mm -hmm. we might play some music now. It's hi-ho. Then we will dress in helmet and sword And dip our tongues in slaughter And we will sing a warrior song And lift the praise of murder And Christ will be our darling And fear will be
savage and kill Then I will go to plunder And I will take a fury to wife And I will be your father And death will be our darling And fear will be our name Okay, friends, we're uh, talking with Professor Stephen Zunis about the Middle East and also American politics and the world in general. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org and then going to podcast and going to Community of Chaos. Stephen, how's the... Is it wise for the United States to try to contain China both militarily and economically? I'm not sure that the American and British economic containment of Japan had particular particularly respecting oil, was a wise policy back in the 1930s. Could you talk about this? Well, I mean, it is a historical debate uh, that you know, some people would argue that uh, given the oppression of Japanese militarism uh, in Korea and in Taiwan and uh, in the, uh, you know, and of course, uh, the bloody uh, conquest of, uh, of, of, uh, of China, mainland China itself, uh, that um, uh, in, in putting on uh, embargoes or, or, or sanctions, uh, restricting oil, you know, you know, mm-hmm. could be morally uh, yeah. defensible. Uh, at the same time, uh, critics would point out that hey, we, you know, we were supporting the British and French who were who were <laughs> having so- similar oppressive colonial enterprises and yeah. in Africa and Asia and elsewhere around the world that the that the. Uh, um, Embargo and, and restrictions um, on on uh, on Japan were were about geopolitics, not about uh, morality or or international law or anything else. And that these um, you know these these uh, uh, the, the sanctions you know got the the Japanese uh, uh, con- concerned and and worried about their future, and that that provoked the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, which, of course, then ended up to the to the demise of the of the uh, uh, Japanese Empire and destruction of much of their country in the uh, U.S. U.S. bombing. Um, and of course, you know, we are you know, some people are using the are, are having a similar debate in terms of uh, of China. You know, that is the um, uh, the the growing uh, pressure on China. Is it going to? Uh, uh, Obviously, China is doing some you know, terrible things, especially to the Uyghurs and to the uh, people of Tibet. You know, not to mention uh, in, in internal dissent, uh, threats against uh, Taiwan are, are are worrisome, and you know, people are all, also express concern about you know uh, violations in terms of international trade rules and, and 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 the like. And there are certainly those who you know would argue we need to get tough on China. Uh, others would argue that again, this might be uh, pr- provocative. That for better or worse, China is a rising world power, and that there might be um, more uh, thoughtful and 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 uh, and um, less provocative means of challenging the um, you know China's growing strength. What um, clearly did not work was Trump's uh, policy of unilaterally imposing various uh, sanctions uh, that. Um, 
um, China was e- easily got around in terms of um, of uh, you know, retaliating against uh, the, the United States, uh, you know, leading to uh, billions of dollars of losses to American farmers. But that then the U.S. government felt they had to uh, make up for in subsidies, and, uh, and it certainly didn't stop other countries, you know, from from trading. But you know, the problem when you're dealing with a country like like China, and again, I don't want to you know, minimize you know, these issues that I met, not to mention their aggressive moves in the uh, South China Sea, um, which are also, you know, quite, uh, quite, quite problematic, is that um, if the, if the United States is hardly in a position to take, take leadership when we talk about uh, um, aggressive empires. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we look at, for example, looking at Ukraine, you know, Biden says, you know, that correctly that this is he was at the United Nations um, uh, actually uh, on 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 Tuesday speaking at the uh, General Assembly and um, pointing out quite correctly that uh, uh, this kind of aggressive war is illegal but Biden supported the invasion of Iraq which is also uh, an illegal aggressive war he says no country can expand its territory by force but the United States is the only country in the world that recognizes Israel's illegal annexation of the Golan and and Morocco's annexation of the entire country of Western Sahara. He correctly condemns the atrocities of, of, of the Russians bombing civilians, but he's defended Saudi Arabia when they bombed civilians in Yemen and Israel when they've um, uh, bombed civilians in Gaza. So, similar kind of double standards we see in China. And so I, I think really if there is, you know, to whatever extent the international community uh, does need to um, uh, respond to um problematic uh, behaviors by uh, China, it needs to be a multilateral effort and it needs to be consistent uh, with uh, uh, basic uh, standards, international uh, law and, and human rights. And it can't, and we can't just sing, single out China. We have to look at uh, other countries as well, including uh, the, the behavior of, of the United States, which is the world's number one backer of dictatorial regimes. 57% of the world's remaining authoritarian governments get military aid from the United States and and not to, and, and that doesn't even count you know, Israel and its occupation um, and and we, we um, and, and, and or it doesn't even officially count uh, the Modi uh, government in in India which while not technically a dictatorship democratically elected is certainly uh, engaging in some very uh, repressive and, and and bigoted policies and so um, Really, what 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 needs to happen, I think, is that uh, you know, for, for the United States to take leadership, and that was all. This is what Biden's big speech at the General Assembly was about. You know, re- reasserting uh, U.S. leadership. That leadership doesn't just involve having by far the largest military in the world. Um, it's also about uh, moral leadership, uh, and. Uh, and this is unfortunately makes it very difficult for the United States to lead on China or just about anything else. Uh, what? How does um, machine learning or artificial intelligence and chips come into this? Because I understand that Formosa makes the most and the best microchips in the world. Well, you know, Taiwan is, is you, know, uh, you know Taiwan is very strong and and. In, in this uh, area, um, and uh, is, is very much an outside player, uh, out, outsized player, I should say, in terms of its um, 
uh, economic uh, prowess. Um, they um, and you know they've also been you know quite impressive after decades of repression under the right wing uh, authoritarian Guomindong, um, and uh, uh, you know Chiang Kai Shek and, and the like that they have now evolved into a you know pretty progressive uh, social democracy. Yeah, they're. Um, They've got a, and, and then, a working democracy, and they've got one of the best education systems in the world. Oh yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very much so. And um, so there, there's obviously, um, you know, they're 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 both economic uh, um, and and uh, moral uh, reasons that the um, um, that the United States and other Western countries, you know, feel like uh, you know supporting uh, Taiwan and uh, whatever the historic ties uh, to to China. Um, you know they have uh, ex- they have um, existed as a, a separate entity uh, for several generations now, and and you know, very much have a uh, have a strong national identity despite the lack of a formal uh, declaration of um, of independence. Uh, but you know just just in dealing with China as as a whole, I mean there, there are some tr- is a tr- tricky balancing act, and I think the, the the important thing is that we not allow these uh the, the hawks you know uh, the 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 uh, military industrial complex the the um more militarist elements in the united states and other western societies uh to take the lead on this and again this does not mean appeasement this does not you know uh mean uh you know put uh you know uh ignoring uh you know china's um you know violations of uh international legal norms but it does i think is it critical to recognize that whatever um, a solution we have to this these, these impasses uh, that would not be a military one. Um, yes, I, I even question to some extent that you have to be somewhat careful about your economic constraint, containment. Yes, and again, it's, that's not, it's not really possible. I mean, that is uh, because you know China um, is, is is now the world's single uh, biggest economy. And uh, this is not a, a banana republic that uh, uh, you know sanctions can you know force the government to to collapse. I mean, we just passed the 50th anniversary of the uh, right wing coup against uh, Salvador Allende's uh, democratic socialist government in Chile, um, and uh, how the United States, in the in the words of Henry Kissinger, uh, made sure that they, they, they'd make the economy scream, uh, that basically uh, you know sabotage the. Economy undermining uh, the government's uh, socialist initiative, which uh, made possible the, uh, the the coup. Fortunately, and so uh, un- unlike Russia, Chile's actually recovered, and they've elected yeah. a fairly left. Oh yeah, very very progressive, yeah. very progressive uh, government right now. But the, my point being is that um, you know, no, there, thanks to the United, the United States. The, no, yeah, the they, t- kill fa- the, they kill thousands of people in Chile. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, the, but my point was that there was a time when the United States did have the economic power to uh, press countries to either conform to our wishes, and if they didn't, to overthrow them. We don't have that kind of power anymore. Uh, similarly, there, there for, for decades, the International Monetary Fund, international financial institutions, were able to uh, force uh, countries that might have wanted to go in a more socialist direction to instead... Uh, um, um, adopt a more neoliberal kind of economic approach uh, or otherwise uh, they effectively would be uh, strangled in terms of um, 
trade and debt relief and that kind of thing. We can't do that with China. <laughs> China uh, is much too big, uh, much too powerful. Right? And so uh, as a result, we, we, there needs to be some really careful thinking about how, how we deal with it. It doesn't always lead to good results. I'm sure. I'm uh, uh, pretty exactly. sure that sending the Chicago boys to Russia under Yeltsin didn't. And oh yeah! In fact, that paved that paved the way for that paved the way for Putin in many many respects because it created this kind of cowboy capitalism. I mean, as as, as screwed up as the Soviet system was, at least there was a relative uh, um, uh, economic equality and, and something of a social safety net. But the uh, um, the 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 the, uh, the, the uh, neoliberal shock therapy uh, was what created these oligarchs, created this gross. Uh, Inequality, which uh, you know created the climate, whereas these uh, uh, right-wing demagogic nationalists like Putin uh, were able uh, to to uh, come to power. Biden seems to domestically actually done a, a quite a good job. I mean, it's been reasonably well. I mean, what's very interesting about Biden is is. As, uh, as disappointed I, I am in many aspects of his foreign policy, uh, that he's been much more progressive than many of us predicted uh, domestically. Um, he hasn't been able to get a lot done, given the, uh, uh, the blockage by um, Republicans and uh, some of the um, and more conservative and some of the more conservative uh, uh, Democrats. But uh, in many ways, he has changed the conversation because ever since Reagan. Um, you know, the idea is like minimal government. It's, it's about, uh, you know, get more money to the rich and help the corporations, and maybe some of that will trickle down. Well, really, for the first time since, uh, you know, Lyndon Johnson's uh, Great Society programs and, and Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, um, it's become legitimate to talk about the government playing an active role in the economy uh, to to help the, help the middle class. Now, I mean, this is... I, and, and, you know, uh, I mean, this is it seems like a no brainer. I mean, you know, New Zealand, even among your, your more conservative you know, governments, uh, you know, believed at least, you know, the, the government did have a certain role to, role to play in terms of the help, the economic well-being of, of, of the people. I mean, that's a given you know, similarly in Australia and most of Europe and other parts of the world, but uh, uh, even in neighboring Canada. But uh, the United States, it was... Um, it was very difficult, even for Democratic politicians, to talk about um, the, uh, the the um, the U.S. Um, government uh, directly supporting uh, the 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 services and the um, uh, the uh, um, subsidies and the basic kinds of things to help the economy in a way that would help ordinary people, not just those who are are most powerful. And and I give Biden credit for. Uh, basically changing the debate and changing the dialogue and, and making it possible to, to talk in these terms once again. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to have moved the Republican Party much. No, the Republican Party is moving more and more to the right. Um, I mean, the you know, Republican uh, you know, Party um, had, uh, you know, had, had you know, the more moderate conservative uh, kinds of voices that you generally associate with the, you know, the more mainstream conservative uh, uh, you know, parties and, and most parliamentary democracy, along with a kind of more far-right, uh, kind of libertarian um, uh, 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 streak. But now we're actually having 
having what uh, uh, downright authoritarian or quasi-fascist elements within the uh, Republican Party. Indeed, they uh, in, indeed the, the main center of gravity in the Republican Party now is actually closer to these far-right anti-immigrant parties you've seen springing up in, in Europe and elsewhere uh, than it is, you know, with the more uh, mainstream, uh, uh, main, more mainstream uh, conservatives. And the uh, cult-like following of, uh, of Donald Trump, uh, despite all the more than 91 uh, counts against him, uh, spread out over four you know, separate uh, cases, um, that he seems to be uh, uh, almost certain to get the Republican nomination, and polls show he's running fairly evenly uh, with Biden. And so, you know, this, I mean, I... I I used to get get a little irritated when uh, you know people, especially on the on the far left in this country, talk about oh, uh, the United States is becoming fascist, and uh, da, I don't like to use the word don't, I don't like people use the word fascist uh, um, so loosely. I, I don't want this to exaggerate uh, the threat here because despite everything, we have all these democratic traditions and 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 all this kind of stuff. But now it's not that far fetched. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I. Um, a far-right uh, fascist threat that is emerging uh, in the in the United States, and though the um, most Americans, according to polls, are actually more to the left than ever, the majority of Americans between 18 and 35 have a more positive view of socialism than they do of capitalism, and younger people, in particularly, are are, are, are a lot more progressive than previous uh, generations. The way the Republicans have uh, gerrymandered political districts, restricted voting rights, and and a lot of other things in the way the Republican-dominated courts are letting them do that, you know, there really is a risk that uh, we could have Trump or DeSantis or one of these far-right people uh, become president um, uh, next year. And uh, they've been quite open that they would uh, basically uh, uh, use that power uh, to uh, uh, shut down dissent and opposition, the kind of stuff we've seen that we were talking about Netanyahu doing in Israel uh, earlier in this broadcast. And... Uh, and we've seen Orban in, in, in Hungary and 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 similar uh, um, uh, demagogues elsewhere. The United States has a fairly complicated electoral and constitutional system, which embeds first past the post, and yeah. also embeds a two-party system because of that. And so, exactly. And and what's what's really striking is that you know over two-thirds of Americans do not want to have to choose between Biden and Trump. Majority of Democrats don't want, would rather have someone else than Biden uh, represent them. The majority of Republicans would like somebody other than Trump to represent them. Uh, but the way the system is set up, uh, this, that's, that almost certainly we're going to have a rematch uh, to the, that, uh, that we had in, um, um, in 2020. And, you know, again, big concern for Democrats, and I mean that both in terms of the capital D as in the name of the party, but also the um, uh, lowercase d in terms of a, of a democratic system, is that because Biden is not that uh, popular, because um, uh, he's disappointed people on a lot of levels, um, you know, despite some, some positive things, uh, that the voter turnout, which is always already one of the lowest in the uh, Western world, that voter turnout here in the United States next year will be low, uh, which would definitely give an advantage uh, to, to Trump. If Biden gets reelected, will he be able to do any 
anything effective about clim- mitigating climate change? Because a lot of it would depend really- on um, a lot of it would depend on uh, whether um, uh, enough uh, progressive Democrats uh, win in the in, in Congress. Uh, that uh, if there's a majority in the House and Senate, that would enable him to do do so. Now there are. Um, one problem is, is, is that with this new uh, right-wing majority in the Supreme Court, they are reinterpreting environmental laws. Uh, the way environmental laws worked before is that uh, Congress would create an agency that's defined with you know, certain broad powers to promote clean air, clean water, you know, fight climate change, whatever. And these regulatory agencies uh, would, would set out rules that, uh, would, you know, that, that were consistent with their mandate. But now the courts are saying, no, you have to, Congress has to pass specific legislation specifying exactly what each of these rules are. Uh, but of course, with the um, um, with the Republican majority in the House and the filibuster system, which means you need a two-thirds majority to get anything done in the Senate, it's virtually impossible for Congress to pass any environmental uh, you know, legislation. And so... Uh, this really ties the hand of the uh, U.S. government in terms of uh, you know being able uh, to uh, put uh, to to enforce uh, climate change. I mean, I suppose in theory um, that uh, uh, Biden could declare some kind of state of emergency and take part in extraordinary executive powers, which are uh, you know, generally only uh, um, used in wartime or whatever, because. I think, indeed, even our, even the Pentagon admits that climate change is the biggest national security threat to the United States, uh, um, and it, 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 and in, indeed to the world. Um, but uh, you know, Biden is something of an institutionalist and would be unlikely to take um, this uh, um, uh, this this action, uh, despite the fact of, of, of many tens of thousands who demonstrated in New York just just this past weekend, uh, demanding that Biden do just that. It's very hard to change the American Constitution, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, you need a, um, you know, a, a two-thirds uh, a vote of both houses of Congress, and uh, and uh, uh, along with ratification by three-fifths of the fifty state legislatures. So, um, that uh, const- no, that uh, um, I'm afraid we can't uh, put much much hope hope there. Uh, but you know, the underlying thing is that uh, in order to take uh, action on on climate change and on you know fundamental issues of economic uh, you know justice that would put the U.S. in line with social democracies elsewhere in the world. Uh, what is going to require is a supermajority um, on in every levels of government, and that is a simple majority is not enough. And uh, but uh, the um, but again with voter suppression. And with the unlimited campaign contributions giving um, advantage to powerful corporate interests and billionaires, um, the uh, you know, it, it's, it's very hard. You know, to, it'll be very hard to get that supermajority. So we're really in a seriously dysfunctional state here in the um, in, in the United States. And I'll, I'll be honest, several of my close friends have have uh, already immigrated to New Zealand and. After my uh, semester at uh, University of Otago, uh, I, w- I frankly uh, wish I could join them. Well, that's 
I'm not sure what to say about that, actually. Well, you, you, you emigrated decades ago. So. I know. <laughs> no, I've never been. I've never. I've never been sorry about that, to be honest. Um, and I'm sure my kids are quite happy about it. Well, they've told me. <laughs> but um, the United States. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of good people in the United States, in spite of the fact that. Um, yeah, and again, again, and that's it's 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 really and here the irony is that again, in terms of political consciousness, in terms of people understanding uh, the importance of fundamental change in this country, in terms of awareness of the uh, economic inequality, of uh, the endemic racism, of the environment. Uh, Americans have never been more aware or more progressive. And I'm a college professor. I've taught generations of, of, of college students, you know, starting from the early 1980s. And, you know, it is quite, in, in, in over 40 years of teaching, you know, I've seen several generations of college students, and it's remarkable uh, to see the transition in terms of uh, overall, you know, of political consciousness and, and um, um Awareness. If we we're a parliamentary system, you know, we our government would be a, um, a, uh, uh, you know, uh, essentially a social democratic, or you know, or, or, or you know, pretty pretty close, uh, pretty close to it. Uh, but the um, uh, so this is less a reflection of the American people and their political attitude. Is this uh, again the 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 uh, it's a reflection of power uh, constitutional lies. system we have and. And how those on the right and powerful interests have been able to take advantage. I mean, it's really telling us where power lies in the United States. I'm yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, in fact, there, you know, the, the political scientists, you know, have actually done uh, done some empirical studies that have talked about how, by certain, despite you know having you know having being an electoral uh, democracy, representative democracy, and and all that kind of stuff, and that you know people can. Can dissent and have a and critical press and and demonstrate and you know without fear of persecution and and people can vote and on competitive elections all that kind of thing on a functional basis you know uh, uh, that that we really fall short of most definitions of the democracy and that the rules the laws do not reflect the majority they reflect the views of the, the rich and powerful and uh and these ultra-conservative interests. So, if that, if you take that broader definition of democracy, you know, you can, you want to can make the case that the United States is definitely, uh, you know, falling short. It's down the list, if you will, if you are ranking um, um, countries in terms of, of level of democracy. If you find democracy as in the 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 the, the laws and policies of society are reflecting the will of people. Is that why Roosevelt was so hated by some people? Because he actually managed to make a change. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. And, and, and here's, here's an interesting thing. George Lakey and other people have talked about this this phenomenon that um, they talk about the polarization uh, in American, European, and other societies uh, and, um, and how that could mean the, uh, the rise of, of fascism and, and, and the like. Like we saw in the 1930s and, and 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 all, but it's true that if you look at the 1930s, we saw how fascism indeed came to the fore in Spain and Italy and in Germany. But also in the 1930s, that's when Scandinavia came from these very unequal 
uh, uh, societies um, to uh, in, where there's a lot of immigration, people getting out of there to, uh, because of the, the inequality and social injustice to the model social democracies they are today. This is where in, in the United States in the 30s you had they had a fascist rally and that filled Madison Square Garden and you know tens of thousands of, of fascist Nazi, uh, open Nazi supporters marching in the streets. Um, and you had a very powerful communist movement going on as well. And yet we saw the emergence of the of Roosevelt's uh, New Deal. Roosevelt's um, New Deal the 60s, is quite wide. Is it, you six, just, six, I mean, people from all walks of life and all persuasions gave him advice. You had mildly conservative liberals giving him lots of advice, but you also had yeah. people oh, yeah. you also had people who would be considered now communist who gave him advice. Yeah. And he he, list, Cyril, he, Cyril used, and I, he used their advice. He actually yeah, managed so. to hold a coalition together that was amazingly strong. Right. And and also if you look at the nineteen sixties, there was uh, also there's a lot of polarization around the world. And you saw how most most of Latin America fell into the under the rule of these uh, far-right uh, military hunters. But you also saw a lot of social progress in the United States and Europe and other countries um, in terms of the rights of women, rights of minorities, and, and, uh, and, and, and more ambitious uh, programs to, to help the poor and disadvantage. So polarization doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to end up fascists. It could also be a time, it could be a very good opportunity for um, for for social change, use an analogy. Let's take a blacksmith. Okay, uh, a blacksmith cannot um, shape the metal unless it is heated. Now, the hot metal could be made into a weapon, or it could be made into something useful, or a piece of art, or whatever. And so, these times of polarization, um, that yeah, things are hot right now, and and how are we going to shape it? Are we going to shape it? You know, in in terms of um, a more uh, autocratic, fascist kind of direction, or can we uh, bring it to a more uh, democratic, uh, you know, socialist or social democratic kind of of um, uh, a future uh, that is more egalitarian and 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 uh, and where we have greater political and economic democracy? And I can't tell you which side is going to win, which side is going to uh, um, uh, come come uh, come out on top. But I don't think we should either, you know, naively assume things are going to going to turn out well. But on the other hand, let's not uh, fall into this um, doom and gloom idea uh, that the only scenario is is a uh, fascism and authoritarianism. Okay, thanks a lot for uh, this, uh, Stephen, and um, this is a good note to end on. So thanks a lot for coming on board, the Community or Chaos. My pleasure. I, I, I always enjoy you. talking with you. Okay, we'll catch you in a few months again. Thank you. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.